Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome back to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is your host, Ryan Tansom, and this is episode 256. And I'm super excited for today's episode because we are going to be able to see how capitalism deployed in the right way for the right reasons, which I like to call conscious capitalism. You've heard me talk a lot about that, and I think is one of the most positive and and really exciting topics and philosophies that has come out over the last decades or so that, in my opinion, truly has the ability to make a difference in our country and the future trajectory of where we're going. And the true part of capitalism is that you need the capital behind your idea in order to create the wealth that you want. Because at Arcona, Pat and I have spent so much time over the last year trying to really dive into what do business owners want? Like, why do we take the risk? Why are we doing all the things that we do? And it's to create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact. And I've seen that if someone is missing one of those where they're making a bunch of money, but they are not enjoying their job or their company and what they're doing, or they're not making the impact, they're not happy. And so if you're missing one of those, you're not able to reach your fullest potential as an entrepreneur and a business owner. And said another way, as a human being, because human beings have a desire to reach their fullest potential, and our business is one of the most amazing vehicles to help us get there while also creating wealth. So we're exploring who we are, what we want from our life and why, the level of impact that we can make, and we can create a valuable asset that accomplishes financial freedom and allows us to say no to the things that we don't like or that are not aligned with our morals or values so that way we can change the world and make an impact according to the things that are important to you as the owner. And one thing that I have absolutely become hyper aware of is that access to capital and the ability to take that idea or your business and accelerate that value growth to the potential that you want is absolutely crucial. You cannot do anything without cash flow and capital. And so how does that have to do with today's episode? Well, today we are gonna be talking about how Collab Capital raised $50 million to deploy into black business owners. So that way black business owners have the ability to capitalize on the wealth creation that's available for creating financial assets like companies and real estate. We are going to see from our guests how capitalism can help change the wealth and inequality gap by deploying capital for the right reasons to the right people to give them opportunity to capitalize on this thing we call a business that is a financial asset that creates wealth. Today on the show, we have two guests from Collab Capital. Collab Capital is a firm designed to invest explicitly in black founders. They raised $50 million and they have a specific investment thesis, which is to invest explicitly in black founders. You might know some of the investors that participated in the fund, just a couple small people like Apple, Goldman Sachs, Google, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, MailChimp, PayPal, Yeah, this is a real thing, and it is showing you that money funneled in the right direction with people that can deploy it in the right ways, it shows the absolute power that people have who are directing where capital is deployed. And today, we're going to be talking about how Collab Capital is deploying that $50 million into black owned businesses to help bridge that gap of inequality and wealth. So our two guests are Rachel Wilson and Elliot Holland. Elliot's been on the show before. Him and I have had an absolute blast, and I love rallying with him. Elliot has a company called Guardian Due Diligence, who is working on the buy side. So he's worked with a lot of private equity firms and professional business buyers to go in there and rip apart the due diligence to make sure that the asset that they are acquiring, the business, is up to snuff and that it's the right value and the right deal structure. He studied at Harvard Business School and spent almost a decade as an independent sponsor and business buyer before starting Guardian Due Diligence, where he's still the managing partner. Our other guest's name is Rachel Wilson, and she is the principal and head of operations at Collab Capital, where she helps organizations, including startup companies, increase brand awareness, build strategic relationships, and creates programs that benefit consumers, staff, and all the stakeholders. She wants to create equal access and new opportunities for all those who traditionally experience greater barriers to entry. Rachel's extremely smart, and she grew up in an entrepreneurial household, so knows what the 
battle wounds are that are associated with being in a business. And she also incidentally has worked with P. Diddy. There's a bunch of great takeaways. One is that Elliot's gonna share how deploying the capital, the $50 million that they gotta go find investments in is a great opportunity, especially in today's market from a pure financial wealth creation perspective because the deals are so few and far in between right now of finding a good price deal that this whole pocket of black entrepreneurs who traditionally haven't had access to capital have really good businesses and really good opportunities and people aren't looking for investments in that pocket of of our community as much as they should be, therefore yielding good returns and good deals while also bridging that inequality gap. At the end of the day, equality issues in the, the investment landscape come down to equity. Traditionally, those most affected by inequality face barriers from day one. Rachel and Elliot talk about fundraising and helping families that typically wouldn't have access to capital or the ability to invest to get the returns in order to create the wealth. They're disrupting this entire system within, and it is conscious capitalism at its finest. You can deploy money, make returns, make an impact, while also enjoying what you're doing by making a difference. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy this episode with Elliot and Rachel. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Rachel and Elliot, how are you guys? Doing well. Good. I was just telling both you guys why I reached out to Elliot when I saw the press release of what you are doing. And I am so excited for so many reasons. But uh, for the listeners, um, there's a gentleman here in uh, North Minneapolis that has a barber shop that, you know, we when the whole George Floyd thing went down and people just trying to bring awareness to this, there's this uh, one of the world's uh, most, I, I think, I don't know how you would give the description, but an EOS implementer. She's very influential here in town. Her name is Sue Hawks. And she grab this group of people together and say, hey, let's just bring some attention to what's going on. She she got this friend, uh, Winston, I believe is his name, and in the barbershop, and they call themselves the Collab Five. And then they just got done closing their $50 million fund to help bring equity to, uh, to Black people in the North Minneapolis. And I was like, did Elliot partner with Winston? <laughs> <laughs> So apparently just a thing going on. So I'm just super excited to hear what you guys have been up to and what your intentions are going forward and why it matters. Because I think everybody that's listening loves to create wealth, make an impact and enjoy what they're doing. And you guys are putting some serious meat behind it. So why don't uh, both of you guys, you have a little bit of an uh, intro yourselves, the background, what you're doing, and then we can kind of dive into the, the meat behind it. Rachel, why don't you go first? Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you having me and Elliot for uh, the invite as well. Just, it's great to hear that there's a lot of other people just seeing that there's a need for collaboration and whatever <laughs> word you want to use. My own background is more in economics and industrial systems and engineering. I actually went to um, Georgia Tech for grad school for industrial systems and engineering. Um, but a lot of my career was around supply chain. So, I worked in the wine and spirits business um, for one of the largest uh, wine and spirits companies in the world. Um, That's why you said you like beer when we were talking before. <laughs> well, wine and spirits, that actually, that, 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 that's not part of the wine and spirits. Yes. Also, fun fact, my father was in the military. So um, he was in the army and I lived in Germany for about uh, 11 years. So I um, was around a lot of steins and beer and <laughs> beer festivals. And so... It is definitely in my blood. Um, das ist gut. Um, so um, from, from going into wine and spirits, I, I'm also an advocate for just networking and, and people and just making social uh, impact as well. And so um, at my time at uh, Diageo, I actually got a chance to be introduced to some phenomenal, amazing Black women who worked under Sean Diddy Combs. Um, one of which is my mentor. She was the right hand to to Mr. Combs um, from the start of his 
ad agency all the way up to creating a super wine and spirits company. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, lots of stories there, um, (laughs) uh, fun times, but I've always had an interest in entrepreneurship. My dad's a serial entrepreneur and, you know, he's, he's always brought me along with a lot of the different opportunities that he has had. One now that we've been doing for probably a while now is our addiction and mental health center, which is up in Baltimore. Um, So I'm the chairwoman for that. And I've always had an interest in in helping Black entrepreneurs gain access to capital. And there, an opportunity came along with Collab Capital to head their operations. So I'm the principal um, head of operations at Collab Capital as well. Super cool. Elliot, uh, second time on the show, a little bit different topic these days. We're not going to be battling on buy, sell, buy side, sell side, but <laughs> why don't you give a little a brief overview of uh, your background as well and then how you guys met? Uh, sure. So I'm a reformed engineer, reformed strategy consultant. Um, both my parents were entrepreneurs and financial consultants. So I tell people I got it honestly. I, <laughs> I spent several years in private equity, both for others, and um, started firms for myself with business partners and mentors and whatnot, a common theme you just heard twice. And I met Barry Givens, who's one of the general partners at Collab Capital. When I was in undergrad doing engineering stuff, we were part of a fraternity together. And through sort of continued connection and conversation, we have both taken entrepreneurial paths. And when his idea or their idea for Collab Capital came up, and we'll talk more about that in a second. I was the only person he knew that actually enjoyed reading through financial statements and legal documents. And I don't know why I told him that in that way. I said, please don't mention it anywhere where spirits are being poured because I'll get laughed <laughs> out. But that's that's what I do and that's what I love to do. And so they brought me on to kind of help with that piece of the house. And of course, from a equity perspective, you know, my parents in Detroit, fought for equity in the 70s, 80s, and 90s there. And so that's sort of also in my blood. And so when the opportunity came to leverage some of my skills and my my fancy Harvard MBA to help with this project, I thought it was a perfect opportunity to join forces and 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 try to change the narrative around the black founder. I'm super excited because that's I'm hoping that in the next, you know, 50 some minutes we can do that. We can at least chip away at that. And so when you guys and however, whoever wants to go is give give the listeners a little bit of an overview of what is uh, Clab Capital, the mission behind it, like just kind of however you want to. I'm sure you kind of got your punch list of how to describe it and then we can unpack it. I'll let my boss Rachel take this one. So uh, Collab Capital um, is like in the realm or sector of venture capital. Its, its mission is to support, grow, sustain Black-owned innovative businesses. Um, and how they do that is through leveraging human, social, and financial capital. A lot of times when you think of a VC, it's really just an investment um, and then allowing the founders to flourish. But um, oftentimes, um, when you have a lack of access to capital, there's also a lack of access to networks as well. Um, and so it, it's really imperative and, and a huge part of the mission at, at Collab to make sure that not only we're investing with you from a financial sense, but also making sure we're leveraging our own um, expertise, our own networks as well, and our limited partners as well, too. So we actually align a lot of our companies depending on how they want to receive access to to the capital uh, structures we have with a growth partner. Um, And this allows them to just quickly be able to get through, you know, customer acquisition costs lowered, you know, to um, accessing, you know, networks and and ecosystems and and opportunities opportunities um, and just getting them exponential growth without having to pay for that cost of the senior person that they probably would have to pay um, in, in most circumstances. So just trying to to build a way to allow for financial uh, wherewithal access to, to the capital and to those, those social networks for um, the founders that we serve. So we're, uh, there's a couple of places that I wanted to, to figure out where to start here is because I want to get into you know how how you guys went about raising the fifty million dollars, where that came from, and how the LPs, the limited partners, 
why they aligned with what you're doing. And then also when you're deploying that, what's a good opportunity? What are the plan what are the plans for it? How do the money, how does the money get delivered back to the LPs in a way that is still aligned with your guys' values? But before mm. <clears throat> maybe we unpack that, I'm curious you too, like well, this access to capital. I've gone through it myself, right? Like well, that was one of the reasons my dad and I sold the business. And I just know from personal you know situations why that's an issue for you to in in your communities and with the the trying to equalize where everything's going from the 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 minorities and access to capital why is that important and can you explain to the listeners why this is such a big deal so for some context my father was born in the south side of chicago in 1933 so he was inducted into his uh college honor society but wasn't allowed to participate in the ceremony he fought his way into segregated schools. He was a black financial consultant in the 60s, if you could imagine that. And so when you think about access to capital and sort of one generation removed from a person, you know, not even 40 yet, whose father dealt with those kind of troubles, and I'm sure Rachel and her family have similar stories, and even now, transition to 2021, we still see huge gaps in wealth, gaps in access, gaps in the understanding and characterization of certain cultures. And in fairness, I think a convenient sort of just forgetting of the fact that there's Black scientists and founders and entrepreneurs that have amazing ideas and have had amazing ideas. And I think it's so important because in a social realm, you want to be as equitable as possible. So that's the social lens, right? But I'm also a capitalist. From the capital lens, we all know that businesses, people, situations that get underinvested in and still thrive have a likelihood of having an unfair advantage relative to competition once the capital access problem is solved. Mm -hmm. And I can go back to my Harvard Business School books. I can go to anybody's understanding. If you have half the capital of somebody else and are competing, you can imagine that person, if they get access to capital, cannot perform. And so I think for us, it's, it's, it's very important, but universally important to shine a light on this issue and to shine a light on it with capital so that we can sort of prove out that thesis. Exactly. I would piggyback on that, just saying it's, it's the same similar story for my own family. Um, my father, you know, didn't, you know, graduate from, from college. Um, he went into the, the military uh, my mom went to to FAMU, um, but you know he always had those those uh, entrepreneurial sentiments in trying to build and grow something. Additionally, you know, as I hear stories from them, they're always talking about when segregation happened and how it really did not, uh, or integration uh, from segregation happened. Like it really did not allow for there to be equity across the board. So as they were providing education, potentially financial opportunities, um, it wasn't the same for, for everyone. Um, and so a lot of these institutional regulatory uh, requirements, a lot of the stipulations that you know were conducted and made back then, you had mentioned Ryan, uh, redlining, mm-hmm. those things d- still exist today. Um, and so for someone who is a, a black male, maybe didn't have the certain level of education or the networks, you know, they just had to really grow everything from, from scratch and, and hustle. You know, so my dad always says he, you know, grew up in the land of, uh, or went and got educated from the land of sticks and bricks. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and that's how he took you know, all those, those learnings and just little by little decided, you know, I'm, you know, just going to be my own boss and, and, and educate myself on, on people. And, and that's how I'll be able to get access. But it took a longer time to, to do that because you didn't have those networks and because you didn't have the ability to access additional sources of capital. And capital compounds over decades, right? And we're talking well, about things that happened decades and decades and decades ago, which if you think about just compounding interest, mm-hmm. I mean, it, what's super interesting you too is that like I, my, my wife and I, we've been on this journey of educating ourselves and I'm still beyond uneducated. <laughs> so I'm putting my little asterisk there, but like 
when I think about what I've learned over the last six plus years about just capital and money and businesses being an asset and real estate being an asset. And I think about you, you, this, this is not about equal outcomes. This is about equal starting blocks. Right. And I think people have messed up this word of equality with everybody gets a, a ribbon and that's total bullshit. And like, this is about, Hey, you could both get a loan if you have a good idea. Right. And I, and I think about the constraints on that and just our constraints of like, okay, the loan is what allows you to buy the house that which 65% of Americans, their wealth is in their house. And if you're not allowed that, well, there you go. And then if you go, okay, now it's a business and you need to buy, my dad bought a semi-truck full of used Panasonic copiers, right? Ooh, right. But like it created the fuel to build wealth. And if we don't have that equal ability to get that, then you, and you compound that over 80 years, it's like, well, duh, this is here. You know what I mean? And, and I just, I just find it so intriguing. And when we, I was sitting in this group last year and they said, our goal is to get equity. Like mm. not equality, but like money and wealth to people of diversity. <laughs> and it's like, well, how about that? Like that actually makes sense. So I explain how that, how, how something what collab capital is doing is allowing that to take place instead of waiting for handouts from politicians or whatever. Like this is about, this is truly about the, the capital markets at play, which is awesome. It really just boils down to ownership. So that's, that's really what the crux of what collab is is doing. And if I just simplify it in just in my, my own personal, you know, story, like with my family, yes, we can give everybody access to a loan. We can say that here's some grants for a business, but the value of the dollar has reduced. So what you were given <laughs> 10 years ago from your, you know, family or father, a mother, whoever in your family it costs more to, to do that. So, you know, I'm not getting the same house that you would have gotten when you had the opportunity to get, you know, own that level of, of equity. And so, you know, what collab is trying to do is say, how do we allow for founders who want to build that legacy, who want to have more ownership, more equity in their business without, you know, giving up so much away not understanding the the jargon, the language of how to mm-hmm. do that um, when seeking investing investment, and then they get to choose at which point and decide. Okay, I, I really can just do this with the networks that I have and and the investment I've been been given, and and collab through this unique model that they have and profit sharing allows a, a founder to decide when that inflection point is, Ooh, when does it make sense after investment and leverage what I've done already to seek more investment, whether that's going after more rounds of funding or, you know, am I about to break even my runway is, is in a good place and I can continue just growing the business in an organic fashion and being able to give more jobs, you know, being able to, to be a profitable business, not just, mm-hmm trying to mass market, um, and, and take over. So I think for, for collab, that's really what the, the precipice was because all of us, especially the founders of collab have gone through these same challenges of not getting access, lots of no's because of the color of your skin, because you're a woman and they felt that you're not able or capable of, of running this business. Um, even though you're counterpart. Yeah. And we're just, just basic, habits of, you know, what, and I'm just about done with the book cast. So I'm getting close to understanding <laughs> what's going on. But like, like I think about like, there was a woman that was on my show. Uh, we actually t- I titled the podcast, how one, one woman raised millions where white men control the capital. And she talks about like literally less than 2% of women get capital. So yeah. it's like, this is not blaming anybody. We're just saying, Hey, this is a thing. thing Let's yeah. figure out a way to deal with this. And one, one more kind of contextual like comment and then we can get in i want to know how collab uh capital is actually doing this like the mechanics behind it mm-hmm. when i think about like the l- lack of ownership and in equity of assets like 90 percent of the people that have been on this show were like they woke up one day and they're like oh my god this company is actually worth something like and this is like 20 30 million dollar companies or two or a hundred i mean it's because they just are working and they they're solving for annual income their salary their bonuses and their perks and the distributions 
But because they, they have a financial asset, whether they are aware of it or not, like, oh, now I have wealth. And I just never knew it. Now like, I, wish I, I wish I had more and they can do some things over the next handful of years if they want to. But it's this, so companies, most companies that are privately held are like that where they fall into equity by accident. And homeownership is the same way. As long as you wake up, go to work, pay your bills, you're going to have an asset that is 60% of Americans' wealth by accident. So it literally comes down to access and waking up and going to work. Yeah, that's <laughs> and it. it's just like, now, I know, right? And I'll interject a piece, you know, the traditional venture capital, how do you get venture capital, right? Is to go create something cool, right? And then go raise money from your friends and family. Okay, so look at the median income for African-Americans <laughs> in the country compared to that of white people or Asians. So now you're talking about somebody whose median family income is half on average, which we know that's skewed by the people that are at the top, the billionaires, the Robert Smiths, the Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, we should be doing medians, not averages, right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a whole nother nerd out conversation <laughs> to have. You're smiling right uh, now for the audience again. <laughs> exactly. And, and the other piece is that from a psychology perspective, after business school, I really was aware of how there's a piece of it that's pure sort of racism, access, people purposefully preventing certain people from getting into certain places, right? And our, our country has a, a, a deep history of that. There's another piece of it that once sort of the group is set, once the core is set, the core is looking for people like the core. So even in the classical how to get venture capital playbook, it's almost like, well, try to look like a white man because like white men will like you, white men and people invest in people that see themselves in you. And so for a guy that woke up with a tan, I can't solve for that. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you're so right, though. It's like, and even anybody that's in business right now, people have been brainwashed. You need to go to Silicon Valley, now Austin, and you need to wear flip flops and shorts and be, you know, eclectic to have this brilliant. I mean, like, there's this narrative that gets infused through all the publications to raise money. And then third, we think about sabbaticals, off years. So a lot of these businesses are incubated in these garages, right? In nice houses when people don't have to contribute. Well, in a lot of the Black families, particularly those that have gone to college and done well, a lot of us are contributing to our parents' well-being and our family's well-being. And there's no safe garage to sit in for two years and build something. So the whole thing, if it wasn't attacked actively, had very slim chances of correcting itself on its own. And then you throw in all the misnomers and the, the craziness in the media. I think, to your point, to solve this problem is going to require purposeful use and sort of allocation of capital. I love it. So how are you taking what we've discussed and infusing it into the business model of collab capital? Like, so, and I I don't know, again, because I've interviewed a decent amount of uh, PE firms and I know there's certain things you can disclose or not, but whatever you feel comfortable with, I know there's, hey, there's a bunch of general partners here. You know, we partnered together. We got to raise 50 million bucks. So based on what you just said, Elliot, who did you know, your family and friends, they got 50 million bucks. You obviously found some people. <laughs> but so where did that, where did the LPs come from? What's the mix and why do they want to do this? Because I can't imagine that was easy. Maybe it was. And if it was, I'd be, hopefully that's good for other people. And then what, what and then we'll get to the other side about what the, how that's going to be deployed. I'll take a bit of it and then pass it over to Rachel. So initially it did have to be our friends and family. So fortunately the three general partners, the Rachel's, the Elliot's, um, we had enough people in our network of high net worth individuals, both African-American and not, that contributed um, in smaller increments than you would be used to in some other funds, but in volumes loud enough to get us to a decent amount of money, right? And sort of Mm -hmm. leaving that nebulous to an extent. And then once that amount of money was brought to the table, then all of a sudden the, the blue chip folks started coming into the mix as well. And though that's when you started getting the million dollar checks, the $5 million checks from, from places mm-hmm. we all know and do business with. And so mm-hmm. I think for us, it was, although we understood how the typical process blocked people out, we had enough momentum through personalities, through um, our networks, through past business success to sort of get the pump primed, right? And then mm-hmm. leverage that to go get the bigger checks that we know investors well, Ryan. <laughs> they, they like doing the thing every other investor is doing. So you have to sort of create the environment where 
the thing that you need done is the thing that everybody is doing. And that's when you start get the FOMO going, right, Elliot? Exactly. And then you say <laughs> Wait, easy, Ryan. 15% ridiculous. You know, we started, you know, when we started raising capital, Ryan, just take a guess. It? Would you, you want to take a guess when we started raising capital? Uh, March 14th, 2020. Pretty much. I might've said March 4th, <laughs> but that's when we started. And so learning on the fly of how to raise capital remotely how to sort of convey people and keep their attention during all this craziness that was going on and, and, and maneuvering through that. I think it's very proud for a moment for everyone on our team. And then Rachel, you may have some stuff to add to that. Yeah, I would say um, as an aside to that too, we're also a black fund you know, with, you know, emerging black managers, fund managers. And so um, although operators, skillful in their own right. This is the first time that they're building a fund and with such a specific niche of founders that they are trying to support as well. And so we also had to think about our communities sometimes can be very uh, conservative and, and risk averse because they're first time wealth builders themselves. You know, so just like, it's one thing when it's like, you know, uh, someone in the family or, you know, uh, close friends, have had generations of wealth, but when you're only one generation or you're the first generation and you're saying, I need you to put in even just a hundred thousand dollars, that can be a little bit scary. So, um, probably more than a little bit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, and most of them may be more familiar with, you know, uh, a franchise or, you know, starting something that is just more established. So we mm -hmm. had to get over those hurdles as well too, in terms of trying to build as well. And um, I've even seen this, you know, being at Combs, you know, it was as, as I thought, like the music, you know, you innovative, it, it's hip hop, you, you got everything, but the, the business side of it, you could definitely say that there's a conservative nature in terms of the things he decided he wanted to invest in. Oh, and tech took a very long time. And mm -hmm. that was the case for a lot of, you know, black investors who may have had been, been accredited. So obviously with the, the social unrest that was happening last year, that bumped things up to, to showcase what we were doing because we were already on that trajectory. But I think in addition to that, what also kind of aligned people to what we were doing was the fact that this could become an institution um, because we're not just investing from a traditional lens. Um, so obviously there's an impact to particularly focus on um, Black founders, innovative Black founders. Mm -hmm. But when they heard about this space, which Elliot um, can elaborate more on um, in terms of profit sharing, they were like, wow, this is, this is really innovative. You're not just, you know, going and putting money into the businesses. You're allowing for this inflection point to, to decide on when the business, when it makes sense for the business to continue providing returns back from a profit perspective, as well as allowing them to uh, take on new rounds, get an investment from a traditional lens as well. So that really, as we started to uh, fundraise and use that language that we're trying to have outsized returns based off of that, then the institution started coming around. Because initially we were all like, we're for the founders, operation, you know, give them optionality. <laughs> They need to, you know, be able to figure out what they want to do with the money. And the investors are like, that sounds nice, but how am I going to make my money back? So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nice, but Rachel, what are those outsized returns that right, everybody promises exactly. me? Yes. And Elliot um, was a big proponent of making sure we <laughs> change that narrative as well. The guy sipping on some cocktails, getting. talking about spreadsheets at, at a happy hour. Right? <laughs> yes. Uncorrelated <laughs> outsized returns. Say it again. Right. Uncorrelated <laughs> outsized returns for the people in the back. So I'll hop into the space for a second, uh, Ryan. And space, is, it's similar to a safe in some ways, so you can sort of ground yourself in that. But it's a shared profit and collaborative endorsement agreement. And what that means is that essentially the collaborative endorsement, let me explain that first. And Rachel touched on it. One of the huge benefits of the collab model is we built in the ability to get influencers for each company that we invest in to contribute to the growth of companies and participate in the growth of companies on a per company, per activity, um, tailored basis. 
Super cool. And that still allows for the, the same outsized uncorrelated returns to go to investors, but a piece is carved out to speed up the customer acquisition process and the scaling through collaborative endorsements with influencers, which being in Atlanta, being an African-American, a lot of the people who are doing a lot of the endorsements share that affinity. The other piece is a shared profit agreement. And the way that works, I think in the simplest way, Ryan, our instrument can work just like a safe. If someone, we invest $500,000 to $750,000 in C-stage companies that are innovative and have a chance to create outsized returns. And if those companies go on to raise subsequent capital rounds, then our, our instrument will convert very similar to a convertible note. The piece that's very interesting and I think very well tailored for the problem we're solving is that what's wrong with a $50 million lifestyle business that might put a lot of kids through college, pay a lot of mortgages, create a lot of wealth in a distributed way in a Black community that would not be interesting to a venture capitalist the way that they're expecting one or two investments to make their whole 30 or 50 company portfolio make it. Mm-hmm. But in the black community where it's important, then we have a high hit rate, right? Right. Not just for collab, but for the founders and those companies. I was, this is super awesome. You're, you're getting right to one of my questions. I was going to say like, how do you, instead of churn and burn 30 companies to get the one making mostly successful, that's awesome. So in this, in this arrangement, instead of raising five, six, seven more rounds, right? And doing your ownership and kind of the traditional route, you can say, I want to run a profitable business that will employ more and more people that will grow sustainably, that won't require a bunch of cash to contribute to marketing and sales for a long time before returns are achieved. And those profitable businesses can return a piece of that profit to collab to get our outsized return, but also leverage our knowledge, our help, our collaborative endorsements to continue to grow sustainably sustainably. And then the other piece of it is that because that happens, we expect a much higher hit rate, a lower burn rate. And that's not just good for the founders. It's good for the community because we want to maximize the number of Black millionaires and or Black wealth that we create. And so doing it just for a select few in an outsized way wasn't as interesting as doing it for the many in a more sustainable way. So Super interesting. And I want to ask some clarifying questions about the mechanics of this, because like, I, I think it's super huge because one of the questions I was going to have is how are you going to get the money back to the, the limited partners who need the outsized returns without destroying, you know, 95% of the people that you invest in. Not, 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 I said that wrong. It's the, no, it's a valid question, right? That's the question. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I get so damn sick and tired. Like I'm reading Wall Street and it's like, oh, like, you know, people are trying to figure out a way to make money. And like, they're 15 years into the damn company. Like uh, everybody else in the world is trying to figure out how to make money sustainably. Well, everybody like, else had to so, quit before they got to year 15 <laughs> and do something I know. else. Exactly. So it's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's not, I think it's the narrative that's destroying the opportunity to succeed that you guys are fixing. And so maybe, I don't know if you got an example, Elliot, where you can say, okay, like, so someone, you deploy half a million, a million bucks. They start doing certain things. They're, you know, they're getting their endorsements and their profit sharing with the endorsements, and then it convert. Like, how mechanically, how does that work? So you can almost let the the birds fly out of the nest, is what it sounds like. Sure. One of our investments is in a company, Jack's Rideshare, Jack's Rentals, and that company provides rental cars for people who primarily are using them to drive for Lyft and Uber at a more cost effective and customer friendly way than the rentals directly from uh, Lyft and Uber. So as you can imagine, a rental business of cars grown in a sustainable way is making profit from day one because you're charging way more on a day and a month rate than what your note is on those cars. Mm -hmm. So this business accumulated several cars before they came to us. They presented their business plan. They had both an asset heavy and an asset light opportunity in front of them. And we made an investment in that company. And that company has been profitable since the beginning. It's still profitable now. And to get specific enough to answer the question, but not too specific, mm-hmm. they will have the opportunity to return a portion of those profits to collab to create our return. And not only are those non-zero returns for our investors, but the traditional VC model, it would take, what, 5, 10, 15 years 
to get a return no, back. Luck. And that would be determined by when somebody else came and invested a larger number than you did, right? In this model, we're getting cash back sooner, which helps the conservative nature of some of our investors, right? And then us math nerds will also know it increases your IRR because the money's coming back to invest. That present value, baby. There you go. <laughs> And so when you invest in a company like this or any of the other companies that you're going to invest in, is it mainly equity? And so like that, that's where the big problem with the VC model is where like so many people get diluted right off the bat, right? And, and through each round, they're diluted more and more. So they might have 2% of something that may be worth something down the road. So, but they also need debt to buy those cars like you're talking about. So like, what, what is the ability? Does it, does it, do you kind of like back out of the equity position or allow them to like use that to buy? Or how does that work? Well, I'll try to answer it quickly. So our, 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 our instrument is very similar to a safe note, a convertible note. At the, at the, so it's, it's very debt-like, and we won't get into the specifics mm-hmm. there. Yep. And it converts into equity directly at a subsequent round. Um, in our model, there's also the ability for that n- note and the rights that go along with it to deliver a portion of profit to us as collab on an ongoing basis. We also know that it's way easier to get debt when you have big fancy equity on your balance sheet. And so we have created an investment opportunity to do the space to make investments, but debt can come in at the terms debt would come in at that we could probably help negotiate on better basis, better terms, better agreements, better access than those people could do on their own. And that mm-hmm. debt can juice the equity returns. What does that sound a little like, Ryan? <laughs> I love it. We're optimizing for the IRR, baby. <laughs> and it sounds a little bit like private equity, which is where I've spent the past <laughs> right. you know, 12 years of my life, right? Because taking a portion of profit is very similar to a preferred um, equity investment that a private equity firm might place on a $50 million uh, rental business that may be providing cars for people who are driving Uber and Lyft. And so now... The, the beauty of the model is that it has some components of both true traditional venture and traditional investments of other types. And, mm-hmm. and when those things come together, the opportunity is, is compelling. And I would add that the, cause you had mentioned like, you know, how do you make sure that the, the founder is, is not over leveraging themselves with our model, they're able to buy back, their equity as well. So we come in in an agreement amount, agreed upon amount. And as they're returning those profits to us on the space agreement, they're able to then uh, reduce where we are on the cap table. So once we do go to an exit, then we're at wherever they were as they were making returns back to, to, to the fund. That also helps with making sure that they're not over leveraging as well. Well, I think that's one of the big issues is like when you, as I've, as my financial acumen has gone up over the years, I mean, literally I was selling copiers 10 years ago, right? So (laughs) now we're sitting here talking about these things. So there's an ability for everybody to understand. I mean, it's just a chess game as you're talking about these different components and you're aligning the stakeholders in the chess game through all these different creative ways. And I think, you know, what, what, you guys are concerned about is the sustainability of the cash flow of the company. Where so many people, like even the PE firm world, like, you know, Elliot, when you and I talked in the last one, I mean, if you got the five, seven year timeline, you're not solving for long-term sustainability of the cash flow because that's going to require investments. Right. And so by, by having the nice blend of debt and equity, you can actually allow the business to flourish by reinvesting without without suffocating it without any cash. It needs oxygen in order to be able to thrive. And so how are you guys then integrating your operational expertise, right? Because I'm assuming just like every founder, regardless of your color, most people don't have the financial engineering background of a Harvard. So how are you taking that strategic planning or all the different things that are necessary to make sure that they're able to do this on their own? Or is it uh an arrangement where they're going to continue to leverage your guys's back office, or I don't know exactly how that works. I'll let Rachel take that because I think it has to do with our general partners and, and their backgrounds. Yeah. So like I said before, they're operators. So they're really keen on being able to see where there could be some level of either automation, where they may know someone in their network that can then reduce, like I said before, the customer acquisition cost 
um, the tech stack that they needed. So um, Justin, who is um, you know the in-house tech developer, has done this for um, over 20 years. He's taught himself how to code, um, sold businesses, all the above. He can go in, especially as a, anything to do with um, coding, <laughs> to do with filling an MVP. He's your guy. And so he can say, okay, you know, based off of where you want the business to go and transition to, here's where, you know, we can start to think about optionalizing the, the, the tech aspect of your business, if that mm-hmm. is the needed case. Barry is very good on hardware. He very much understands um, consumer products as well. So he can come in and say, okay, if there's a hardware aspect or need, you know, I can come in and kind of help you operationalize on that as well as marketing too. And same with, with Jewel, um, marketing genius, you know, really great at business development has obviously a lot of, of well-known folks, um, from celebrities to the who's who in, in different, uh, sectors and industries. So just being able to, to funnel and, and utilize all those, that expertise they can then bring that to, to the table that reduces a lot of costs, a lot of time um, that the founders have to, to do um, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And again, because if they've entered into this space model, it allows them to really uh, focus on growing the business and less on um, just the one project to get to uh, the next seed round. Super helpful. What was one of the biggest challenges you guys went through, maybe there's, a, I mean, obviously there's a, probably a huge list, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, if you were to say like, cause not only the challenges up to the current date, but what challenges you see going forward? And then they might be the same. I don't know if they're, they're different. I'll do a quick couple. Many limited partners doubted that there was a big enough pool of black founders for this to make any sense to begin with. And while raising capital, we had to prove that to them explicitly to be considered in some instances. And and that could be an educational thing that was a great thing to do. It can be a unfortunate lack of understanding of sort of the the educational level of the Black community, but that was a struggle. I think another struggle was the core of our fund was to invest in Black founders, not diverse founders, not founders of color, Mm -hmm. not minority founders. And when you're that specific, a lot of people at first glance sort of, well, why don't you? And wait, couldn't you? And there's money attached to those statements, right? And if you if you go down yeah. that hole, those people- there's five are, million bucks, Elliot, just waver a little bit. <laughs> billions of dollars. It's, it's right here. Just say minority <laughs> as defined by what nebulous thing, right? And so I think right. the two that I would speak on would be those two. And then Rachel, I'd love to hear what you think some of the biggest challenges were. <laughs> I'm going to speak about uh, building of a fund in general. I think the challenge was like pretty much everybody on the team had never built a fund before. Other than Ellie has been in private equity, but literally, you know, building a, a VC fund, um, talking to traditionalists in the VC, you know, sector and industry, that in itself was, was a challenge. It was also a blessing, too, because it's like many of us wanted to get in this world. We know plenty of people that are all saying, I'd love to be in VC. I'd love to to get into investing into startups. You know, just by the mere fact, when I first started with Collab, there were plenty of people who just randomly reached out on me, reached out to me on LinkedIn and were just like, I want, how can I help? Because I want to be in VC. I want, I want to do this, but I never gotten the opportunity. So although we didn't have that um, traditional expertise, our own, you know, uh, examples of our, from our careers, our education was very, very helpful in building the fund, but it definitely was a challenge in terms of fundraising and, and knowing just some of the nuances that are needed to operationalize the, the back office of building a fund. But again, like I said, the, the blessing was that because we were given the opportunity, you know, now we're able to actually help other people. We actually now can have the expertise. You know, we, we're connected to um, some amazing limited partners 
who've done this before from like Foundry to Cape War Capital, uh, Bloomberg Beta. I mean, they're a willing melon, you know, to give us all of those insights so that we can be best in class fund managers, not just from the um, the managing partners themselves, but the team itself. So we're going to be some of the best of the best out there. So it's, it's great to be able to say that that was a, a challenge, but also a, a, a double-edged sword in terms of a, mm-hmm. a blessing. Um, so that would be a, a major one for me. And then you said moving forward um, is really going to be proving what we're you know set out to do. That's that's really going to be the next journey for us. You know, everyone said, oh, oh, you know, fundraising is is hard, and it definitely was. But the the next, and I think what's really going to be challenging is making sure that we are putting the things in place to showcase that what we said that we are trying to do, that we're investing into these innovative black founders, that they can be profitable, that we can return, you know, investing back to our, our LPs. That's really going to be the next, next challenge. So, so hopefully in a year, Ryan, we can be back on the show and be like, we made a lot of money. Some Some outsized returns. That's right. Right, Exactly. So that's, that would be the two I would, I would share. Elliot, as far as you, like any thoughts on like, is it going to be challenging to find people that, because like, I can only imagine right now, especially right now where you have so much money chasing returns. I mean, hey, by the way, why wouldn't you want to lock in your money for a 5% coupon rate with all the risk in the world? Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Saying super smart. So, fi- you know, there's a lot of money going right. after good, valuable, valuable right. and valid ideas, but I, are you... How about finding the finding the deals? Well, that goes back to the capitalist nature of this fund. We're not a nonprofit investing arm of some uh, endowment. This is an absolute for-profit, um, profit-maximizing company. And so what that means is that our thesis is that Black founders were formerly overlooked and are still being overlooked, and that we have better access to them than anyone else in the nation, which we should because our message is very clear. We fund Black mm-hmm. founders. So Black founders come to us. But oh, by the way, Black founders already know us and we're in Black networks. And so even if mm-hmm. people with bigger checks with more similar you know, thesis to a particular company were to show up, now the same instrument that was used historically to make it tougher for Black founders to get into these groups and like the same music and go to the same places and crack the same jokes. Now these people are coming to us. They look like us. Now, now, we're, the, now we're the country club. Now we're the golf course, right? And so I'd answer it that way. I'd also say that one of the things that we had to use to help limited partners see tangibly that we could find great companies with huge opportunities to scale was we did a pitch competition last year during COVID. Oh, cool. And in that pitch competition, I think it was over 600 applicants. Right. Within, what was it? A week. A week. We had more applicants than Google for startups when they put their pitch competition information out. Whoa. Right. Yeah. That's sweet. And nobody here's last name is Goldman or Seth. <laughs> so when you think about what that means, like going head to head with, you know, arguably the best investment bank in the world. And for this narrow niche, we were the Mike Tyson. I think that showed people that we can not only find great companies, but because some of these other firms are overlooking them, arguably there's better deals. Right, because where are the private well, totally. equity guys looking to go? And the nooks and crannies where the the, the big firms oh, aren't yeah. looking. So it's the same thesis here. Yeah, it's so interesting. You, you're you're so it's so spot on because I'm watching bad deals go left and right with these. Elliot, I mean, even since the last time you and I talked, man, like these PE firms that whatever they're buying, I'm like, man, I'm so happy I'm not one of those GPs that I got to return some what IRR to those <laughs> investors. They paid all cash at a you know nine multiple for a growth. Growth buyout, not a VC. No, supporting <laughs> hospitality and 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 yeah. and corporate events. Right. Yeah. Oh, I know, man. It's crazy. What it, is there? What are the narratives that you two want to start to debunk through this journey? I'm sure there's a lot, but I don't know if there's you know a couple that are near and dear to your hearts that you know that are. I'll toss out one: the scarcity of the black technologists. I think that's a laughable myth. I graduated from Georgia Tech in mechanical engineering. 
Georgia Tech graduates more black engineers than any other nation or any other school in the nation. And when I see these companies that can't find black engineers that don't show up to campus, something's off for me, Ryan. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it. So I think one of the narratives I think we're pushing hard on is the, the, we're debunking the, the scarcity of the black tech founder. I would add that, you know, um, America is missing a, you know, over $500 million opportunity by not investing into niches like this. Mm-hmm. Black invest, black founders are one of the highest growing segments in entrepreneurship. And so that means that as uh, Elliot had eloquently said earlier, when we only focus on the bell curve and not the ends of the tail, then we're, all we're going to get is, is the masses. And we're missing all these other market opportunities that we could be investing. It's no different than you know, looking at emerging countries, which a lot mm-hmm. of investors are looking into now because they're like, well, you know, we've made it's a lot of dollar. money. <laughs> <Right>. 5% <laughs> so, lots of risk, fixed coupon. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Hello, no man. different. So it's just like that, that, that needs to be debunked that there's, you know, not um, viable, innovative, um, high growth black businesses out there. And, you know, I know we're going to show and prove that, but I, I really want people just to think logically, like, if you think about any other type of investment, you know, you want to get into those early opportunities, no different than a crypto, no different than, you know, looking at early, uh, you know, uh, emerging countries. There's riches and niches, right? Exactly. <laughs> you and your one-liners, man. I had so many <laughs> Elliot, I had so many nice little grabs for like the MP3s and the and the and the images last time. I was like, man, I don't know which ones to use. My writer like ripped off all these. <laughs> I love it. I have fun with what I do as well. I think that's a big piece of our firm, also. And, and I, I know you you live by that as well. Like uh, these are capitalistic return maximizing things, but you can have fun doing them. Exactly. Well, and and you can have fun doing it, and you can have like. When I read the book Conscious Capitalism, too, like I, I just was like, oh my God, like duh. It was something that like was intrinsic inside of me. We're like, because I mean, dude, I grew up selling copiers. Right. I mean, like, like the, the business model was margin and mystery. Like, pretty much go wrap and roll the leasing equipment to some church for nine years right. that they don't need. I mean, they just like, I was like, wait a second, that doesn't sound like that's the best for them. Exactly. And I was like, can we make money while doing good? And I read the book and I was like, there's just this huge misnomer out there that you can't align all the stuff that you guys are doing tie that up with the purpose and then everybody makes more money and they've got the stats now to prove it and it's just like god i just if more people mechanically understand how this works and how money works and how equity works then we can truly actually start to agree on what the words mean yep yep i i've this has been a blast i i if people want to help out if they want to find what's going on or read more what's the best place to find you guys www.collab.capital. A brand new spanking new website uh, with our launch last week announcing the $50 million. We spent a lot of time and energy getting all the messaging right, making sure the data necessary to understand what we do and what we don't do is there. Um, It's graphically beautiful. And so go find us there. All of our contact information is there. Um, How to get in touch with us is there. And so it's the one-stop shop for everything Collab. Awesome. One last question for you too. Um, so I asked, what does the word intentional mean to my guests? Because it's the name of the show and it's been, it's so fun as I listen to other people's definitions of, in, of intentional. So Elliot, you've done this before. So I'll let you get, get another round at this. And then Rachel, you can think for a second, <laughs> get all these on the hotspot. Uh, intentional to me is strategically executed. I'm huge on strategy. And when you, when you put the strategy with the ability to execute, I think you get intentional. And for me, it's about the connection. So, you know, for, for every intention, there's always some human or person that's connected to it. So just making sure that you are intentional in, in the connections you make, listening, understanding, having empathy, those are all a part of, of having it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, you two. This has been a lot of fun, and I hope that everybody can take a lot away from this because 
you're pioneers and I'm sure you got the, <laughs> the battle wounds to show it, but it's uh, it, it'll be worth it in the end. So I appreciate it very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Ryan. We enjoyed it. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed doing the interview. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this is that power comes from the ability to direct where capital is getting deployed because that capital getting deployed is going to create wealth. So the more aware we are of where capital comes from, what are the strings attached with that capital, who is directing where that capital goes, and who benefits from that capital once deployed and the rate of return is then given back to those investors and the people with the equity of that asset. This is so huge that equity is how we can level the inequality in our country. It is so huge that it is not something that everybody needs handouts. This is something where real hard work meets a real good opportunity, meets capital with the right intentions, can create wealth, help people enjoy their lives, and make an impact in the ways that we all think are good for society in our communities. And this philosophy goes for everybody. So if you've not picked up the book, Conscious Capitalism, that would be my second takeaway. Go pick it up, read it because you can make money while doing good and it is a lot of fun to do so. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next week.